It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs. Well, that's it. Got the map of the week. Adventures in art. Le Chadron Comatique. Oui, oui. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> what is up, y'all? What is up? What is up? What is up? It is Froth here. Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you are doing well. Thank you, as always, for listening. Feels like it's been a while. Back around again to a hump day RPG show. Weekly show where we talk about some cool stuff I spotted over the week. On blogs. Stuff about zines. Maps. RPG stuff. Free stuff. Whatever else. I talk about it here on the podcast. And then I put up all the links that I talk about in order over at the Thought Eater blog. Just Google Thought Eater blog and you will find it pretty easily. I gotta say, if there's a theme for this show, though, for this week's show, maybe it's like a, a bleakness or a malaise. I've just been kind of an, uh, well, frankly... There's kind of an I got a kind of an uneasy feeling about things lately. I talked a few weeks ago about how far ahead of our skis, you know, the media and everything seems to be getting about this whole reopening narrative. And yeah, it's not like flipping on a light switch. And COVID's certainly not over. You know, especially in a lot of places in the world. But I've been feeling just like, even aside from just COVID, just kind of like a disgust with people. I have to be honest. In fact, a few days ago, I just deleted my Facebook because I found that, you know, when I started, when I first made a Facebook account, whatever it was, 12 years ago, it was a fun way to keep in touch with with old friends, you know, now it's just like a little a hate app, just a hate machine, turns my phone into a little hate machine and get on there, see a bunch of news, usually bad news. And then just no matter who it is, the comments just make me hate people. And I don't want to be that way. <laughs> really I tend towards being optimistic. I do think we kind of all need each other on some level, you know, but the way things are now, stuff's so divisive, and then so many people are just such idiots. You know, I know I'm, you know, I'm an idiot, but I know I'm an idiot, so there's a difference. Uh, but I, it just got to the point where I, you know, I can't even, it's not worth it for something to just make you angry and hate your fellow man like that. Um, maybe hate's a strong word, just disgust, I guess. I'm just got an uneasy feeling about things lately, you know, here in the, 
in the U.S. I'm not expecting any kind of violence to break out or anything. We, we have plenty of that day in and day out. Just the country is kind of... We have, you know... I don't know. I don't want to get into too much more. I think a lot of my listeners know what I'm talking about. We got... No matter which way you, which way you go, which side you pick, or whatever, it's a big pile of garbage. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, there's a little there, there's a little bleakness, a little unease to the show. That's just the way I'm feeling, and that that kind of spills over into the final topic where we're talking about horror and games. Um, there was an article I spotted that I spotted after I already had the idea. So I was thinking about the idea for the final topic being like, is it possible to scare somebody in a RPG? Like, you know, we have these horror games or whatever, but is it even possible for one to literally be scary to literally scare somebody? But we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so you'll have to bear with my, uh, my little, my, my little mood today. <laughs> but anyway, let's see if something can pull me out of the funk here. We got some messages. If you want to leave a message on the show, you go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. And there's a message button there. You can call in and be part of the show. So we got a couple of call-ins. Uh, we've been talking about video games lately. We've been talking about Ataris, we've been talking about ColecoVisions and Intellivisions and video games, classic arcade games. And so I got a couple of calls, one from Brian, one from BJ. Let's listen to those. Aloha Froth, Brian here from Have to Look That Up. And I, I am very sorry to hear that your wife uh, uh, is going through the, the cancer treatment now. And as a few others have said, you know, please don't be concerned about, you know, podcasts and everything else. Uh, you know, I'm, I know I'm a, a relatively newcomer to this, but I'm happy to show the support. And I totally understand that, uh, you know, knowing, uh, knowing how tough it is to face some, some health challenges. So hopefully uh, treatment's going well um, and you guys are, uh, you know, able to, to get through this as, as best as, as possible. So um, looking forward to the day that we can get ourselves out in public. Yeah, I would love to, to catch up, meet up in person at some point. Uh, not sure uh, when those days are, uh, are coming, if they are coming anytime soon. But until then, I guess it's, uh, <laughs> it's still just uh, some, some online gaming and uh, in our own little bubbles. Um, one quick thing for you, because you had been mentioned, yeah, some of those old-time video games and Atari and listening to... to Jason and a few others riff on it. I uh, last Christmas found at Walmart, and they were cheap. They were on sale, so they were probably like five bucks. They had these small Atari Flashback Blast games, about 20 classic 2600 games on a, on a small little chip. It's got an HDMI stick. You plug in your TV. You get a controller that's similar to kind of the you know first-gen Nintendo or PlayStation controllers 
just like now. And, and I tell you what, it is, as it says, a blast. My son loves it, even though the games are a little bit dated. Um, they've got a bunch of them, and they have one bundle of 20 games of the Activision with Pitfall. So, yeah, it's, it's cheap. It's a good way to get your fix. Cheers. Hey, Froth, this is BJ. You're talking about arcade games being tied to memories of specific places. Yeah, the, the, the two that immediately jumped to my mind, they're more later generation um, arcade games but the movie theater i used to go to um when i was a teenager it was the only place in the area that had spy hunter and uh spy hunter for me has a in addition to the awesome music from the uh, peter gunn theme it's one of the only arcade games i've ever actually beaten in the arcade <laughs> uh and that, was, that, that game was so popular for a while people would come not even to watch a movie they would just come to the theater just to play that game for for for, for from time to time um the other one that just also jumped out at me has been related to places is Paperboy, um, because that was at a pizza place that my uh, my mom used to take me all the time. Her and her friends would get all their kids together and take us there for pizza dinner uh, every you know maybe once a month or something. So, yeah, good memories. All right, you just heard from Brian from the Have to Look That Up podcast and BJ from the Arcane Alienist podcast. Thank you both for calling in. Brian, appreciate the kind words. Yeah, status update if anybody's curious. Uh, we had uh, another chemo session today, and there's only two left. So we got two more. I say we, really my wife. I just kind of drive and provide moral support, but um, two more which is big because it's been, you know, months of this, you know, months of, of this piece of it. Then we're going to go on a vacation. And when we come back, there'll be surgery and then likely radiation after that. And then hopefully it will be over with. So still a ways to go, but almost done with this, uh, this first kind of whatever chapter, chapter of hell. So I appreciate the kind words there. Yes, these uh, arcade emulator things are cool. Now I have, I've had a Nintendo Wii for a long time. And um, one of the cool things on that is you can purchase old Nintendo, classic Nintendo games. Which I haven't in a while, but I, I went, I had gotten... You know, things like Super Mario, the original Super Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda and a couple other things on there. Uh, so that kind of emulates it. And then I have a handheld deal that's got like 100 old Sega Genesis games on it, which is cool. It does not have um, like Mortal Kombat on there, but it does have... Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog and some other ones like that on there. Cool thing about that is that the graphics are really good and it's just a little handheld deal. So, and that was cheap too. I can't remember how much that cost, but I've seen these other Nintendo emulators and Atari emulators like you're talking about, and maybe they'll be worth looking at. Uh, an, uh, an Activision pack sounds good. They kind of made some of the best games. Um, but anyway. And then BJ, yeah, 
Spy Hunter. Ugh, forgot about that one. You ride up into the back of the truck. Yeah, that was great. Another one with a good controller, you know. It had like the steering wheel-ish sort of thing. And Paperboy I liked a lot. It had really great graphics, but I was terrible at it. Paperboy, I couldn't... I don't think I made it past the first board or whatever on that game. I just was not very good at that one. But excellent graphics. And yeah, we were talking over the last couple of weeks about how you can kind of remember certain times and places, you know, based on what video games there were there. So, so anyway, good to hear from y'all. Uh, the next call-ins I've got were to do with kind of a, another conversation that's been spilling over the last few episodes where I've been talking about um, big reveals and twist endings in games. And then last week for 5-Minute Friday, I talked about an idea based on a call-in from Spencer from Keep Off the Borderlands, kind of inspired by 12 Monkeys, kind of like a time loop thing. So I've got call-ins from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast talking about, I made a comment in passing about how Jason would probably know some, some games that you could utilize for this kind of thing or that are kind of along the lines of that kind of weird sci-fi Philip K. Dick, you know, that kind of play towards that, those kind of thematic elements. And then Sofino calls in as well. And so let's listen to these and then we'll talk about them. Hey, Froth, Jason here. As far as the five minute Friday, that's a great idea. It, it, that would be a great way to do a campaign. You could definitely do it. I'd definitely give four or five sessions before I put them in the time travel arc. Um, as far as 12 Monkeys, I hope you got to rewatch it. I rewatched it a couple years ago and it stands up. It's a great movie. Very well done. Great acting uh, by, by everybody involved. So, yeah, highly recommended. Um, as is any Terry Gilliam, Gilliam flick, right? But, yeah, I hope you got to rewatch it. Take care. Hey, Froth, Jason here. I think I'm going to let you down here on your asking about mind-bending RPGs where characters hallucinated and maybe weren't sure if their reality was real. Um, You know, reference to 12 Monkeys and Total Recall. So maybe some of your listeners that do indie RPGs and some of the new RPGs will be more familiar. Um, Lords of Creation is maybe the oldest game I can think of from Avalon Hill that kind of sort of did this where you went to different realities and you could create your own realities so you could use those rules to do this. Noblis has multiple realities where the reality you see may not be the real realities but I've never played Noblis so I can't comment too much on that. Multiverser I think does something like this. I've never seen a copy of it and it's got caught a lot of flack on different forums but Multiverser might do this. You could do it with unknown unknown armies. It's not the default for unknown armies, but you could do it with it. And the last one I'm going to mention is Silent Titans. Now, Silent Titans is a game... Actually, yeah, Silent Titans is a game that it uses Into the Odd as the base system. And it's kind of a weird, trippy thing where the characters... It's a just a module, basically. And it... The characters start having lost their memory and they have to flashbacks and different clues to figure out what's going on. But one of the things it talks about is 
in, in one of the reviews I read over on technicalgrimoire.com, you know, he, he makes up example kind of how the game works. The character sees everything as it should be, not as it truly is. So that means the character doesn't notice battle damage, broken roads, or dangerous hazards. Disadvantage on rolls to avoid broken down threats. Anyhow, hopefully somebody else calls in with some ideas. But yeah, it's an interesting topic. And I'm not familiar with the game that's specifically designed to do it. But I'm sure there has to be something out there. So I look forward to hearing what other people have to say. Take care, my friend. Hey, Froth, it's Safinia here. I really, really like this concept. Um, I think it might be uh, one of the one of the really influential films on my imagination um, was a 1980s French-Hungarian cartoon called Masters of Time. Uh, I think it involved Mobius, or at least some of the people who were involved with heavy metal, like, as in the cartoon, not the musical genre, um, although there's crossover. Um, and that, I won't give anything away, but that has a kind of, uh, like this circular plot based around time uh, dilation or something. I watched it when I was like four years old and I did not understand it, but I got that much out of it and it really, really burned into my subconscious. So anything, anything which addresses um, this topic is, yeah, it's great. Adapting it to an RPG campaign, tricky. Definitely, I agree. Um, and you've given a few hints as to how you can make it work um, without being a railroad. Uh, yeah, one thing I think could be quite fun to throw any uh, PCs who get suspicious, you know. They go, oh, this, this attacking force sounds vaguely like ours. You could throw in a few red herrings about doppelgangers and shapeshifters and face stealers in there which don't actually relate to the overarching thing and regarding a railroad hmm train can be on a track it's heading towards a destination there might be very little you can do about it getting there but it doesn't stop you having adventures within the carriages of the train possibly in reference ah uh, great stuff great stuff there uh, you can see why I, I always say Jason's forgotten more about RPGs than I'll ever learn. Knows a bunch of different games, you know, can throw stuff like that out for you for people to uh, to ponder or try to track down. So appreciate that. And then, yeah, Safino, you got me thinking about there's another time loop. Um, time loop thing that's more recent that I, that I forgot to mention that you're, that you're, um, you're calling reminding me of the show on Netflix. I believe it's German, but it's called dark. And I'm sure some listeners have maybe seen it. Whoa. I know I've only finished the first season and now I think seasons two and three are out. Part of the reason I haven't gone ahead with a season two yet is because I probably need to rewatch season one. Cause it's such a, uh, a mind, a mind melter that I, I need to refresh myself on everything that's going on, but it's absolutely, uh, you know, the whole thing is like time loop. It is really good. 
but I just haven't, there's so many good shows, you know, I haven't had time to, um, I haven't had time to watch nearly any of the great shows. It's, it's tough. My, my, my cues on all these different platforms just get longer and longer. Um, it's almost like my role-playing game co collection of things that I'll never play. It's stuff that I'll probably never watch, but I do need to watch the other episodes of Dark. I'm sure some of y'all have, have probably seen that, but excellent, excellent show. And the, I like the other things you're mentioning about throwing out red herrings so they don't suspect that you're doing something with a time loop or whatever. One of the things I was thinking of is like, you know, I mentioned in the 5-Minute Friday, if people haven't listened to it, I call it 5-Minute Friday, but I talked for a while. One of the things is, uh, you know, they see themselves in the first session, you know. It's important that that happens in the first session so that the first and last session can can tie that whole thing up and give them a, a, a wow moment. But there's ways that you can minimize the chance that they'll recognize themselves. Like one thing I was thinking about, if you're doing it with a fantasy game, you know, and you've got like a, a fighter type, you know, you, you can say that from a distance they see, you know, this fighter just hacking through people with this gigantic axe. And, you know, and your current player, the fighter, maybe they have a sword. So they're seeing a different weapon. They're seeing something like that. But then later, maybe in the final session or just before, they find a magic item that's a big badass axe. So badass that they have to use it, you know, that it's, a, that it's just a better choice than what they've got. You know, you've got to make it a great, if you do that, you've got to make it a really great ax, you know, uh, for them to, you know, for them to, there to be no doubt that they'll take it over or, and use it. And it, 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 depending on how long your campaign's gone, you know, they, they might not remember that ax from the beginning. You know, they likely won't. They might, they might. Yeah, but they likely won't, but they will once you get to that final scene. So it's just a, another way, though, regardless, that you can disguise the fact that they're seeing themselves at the beginning. For people that don't know what I'm talking about, you, we're talking about these time loop plots you can use in games. You might want to go back and listen to the uh, last episode if it's not making any sense to you. I mean, it's a time loop, so it's supposed to be a little bit disorienting, so... The other thing you were talking about as far as railroading, uh, referring to Sofino's calls, um, you know, one thing that you can play with, I think, that your call made me think about when you're talking about the, the, the train and everything, is the idea of fate. You know, you can utilize that in your campaign. Like, can you escape your fate? I mean, that's a, lot, that's a big theme in a lot of these um, movies and everything about it anyway. Like no matter what you do, is something going to happen no matter what actions you take? You know, do you have a free will or is something just kind of etched in stone in history? And um, and you can even play that up with, you know, maybe the uh, the world, your, your campaign world, has a real emphasis on fate. Like the main god or goddess is a, is, is a goddess of fate or... or you know, there are cults about it or something like that. You know, you can kind of emphasize that 
that notion of fate, those kind of themes, you know, bring those in and out, you know, or have as, as a backdrop through some of the parts of the campaign. And, and then all, of, you know, when you do hopefully hit that big reveal, uh, then that will even make more sense to them. And I'll take away the idea of it being a railroad when, when in reality it's, it, it, the game can almost be like a meditation, a meditation on railroading. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I sure appreciate folks calling in. You make the show better. So thank you all very much for that. And uh, as I mentioned, you go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater and you can leave a message there. Want to also, as always, give a shout out to the folks supporting me on Patreon. If people don't even know, what, some people might not know what Patreon is. It's basically like a glorified tip jar. You know, people like me that are doing things, whether it be, you know, podcasting, art, blogging, whatever else. It's a way we can ask for monetary support, uh, you know, without resorting to sticking a bunch of ads on our blogs or... Uh, you know, a ton of ads on our podcasts or whatever else. So if you like what I'm doing, you go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater, and you can support the program for as little as a dollar a month. So wherever you are, if you're listening to this every week, you dig it and you know, you can spare a buck a month, sign up for it. I'm still trying to build up support on there. Uh, and I'm very thankful for the folks that are supporting me on there, you know, so thank you for that. So, yeah, we're about to get into it. I didn't find a ton of stuff this week that kind of fits with the with the kind of week I had, though. I, I've got some good stuff for you. It's just not like one of the bloated, jam-packed sort of weeks. Um, but I maybe wasn't, you know, and, and maybe it's something that's going around because the, there wasn't as much blogging activity you know, at least it didn't seem like there was as normal as well. So maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's just something in the air. But anyway, let's talk about some maps. Maps of the week. All right. So I'm very pleased with the, uh, the map stuff <clears throat> to share with you all this week. Because, you know, a lot of the times I'll share these grandiose, impeccable, fantastic works of art that, you know, are far beyond what the average person can manage. Um, and those are great. But one of the things I really love to share is people's, you know, hand-drawn maps that they're actually using, you know. Because uh, they always have their own individual character and their own kind of creativity, their own personality. And so those are always some, something I enjoy looking at. And so I'm starting over at the Three Toadstools blog, Three Toadstools Publishing. Now this is a, a legendary anchorite, Shane Patrick Ward, does the Gilligan's Isle of ADD podcast. And they had been posting about how they got this um, notebook that they've been drawing in. And it was got like gridded paper and everything. <clears throat> and so this post was called Another Page from the Notebook. And they're, they're working on like a village owl's tree uh that's going to go you know somewhere in their campaign world and i just love you know i just love the idea of somebody you know I, I, the, the whole thing of somebody 
having a notebook, drawing their own towns and stuff like that. So I thought I'd share that. I love it. Love it. Now, this is really cool. Uh, over at the sharp end of the brush blog, sharpbrush.blogspot.com. Let's see if I got a name. Uh, this is Rob Dean's blog. They tend towards the wargaming and stuff on here, but um, they talk about, you know, uh, well, we talked about recently how, like, the 50th anniversary of D&D um, came up recently, and um, they go back, they've kept uh, or no, 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 not the 50th anniversary, I'm sorry, I knew I was saying something wrong, just the anniversary of the first Blackmore game, we talked about that a couple times so anyway um, this person, Rob, they kept a binder from decades and decades ago with all of their original campaign stuff in there, which is amazing. It's amazing. So I put up one image of a like dungeon map, their, their first dungeon expedition undertaken by their brother, probably in April, 1976. So, and it's, and you, what's so awesome is that you can kind of see at the back of the binder hanging out of it, is uh, one of the ready ref sheets from Judges Guild. But th this whole post is one to go look at because it's not just that image. It's numerous other images and, and just stuff that they saved from their original campaign. Absolutely love that. And to have it that many years later, whereas uh, so many of us, I mean, just toss the stuff away. You know, sometimes... You might, when you buy an old book, you know, find somebody's old character sheet in there or something. But, but this is really cool, really, really cool. So be sure and go and check that out. Again, that's over at the sharp end of the brush blog. Hump day bloggerama. Let's give some love <clears throat> to the bloggers out there. So let's start over. I'm over at the Indie Game Reading Club. Paul Beakley's blog. Love this blog. Paul's a really good writer. And uh, so this is IndieGameReadingClub.com. Post the slow, weird return to in-person play. Now that most of my local players are fully vaccinated, we're slowly dipping our toes back into in-person play. And it is so weird and fraught. I can't stop thinking about all the stuff I learned to make role-playing happen during the pandemic. And so this is all about, very interesting post, but, you know, usually you see people trying to adjust to play online and learn all that. They're talking about adjusting back to the table and all the cool stuff that you can do online that they enjoyed and started doing uh, and trying to bring that back to face-to-face. -face. So they're talking about things like shared screens and side chats, the convenience and shorter sessions. You know, God, yeah, driving to people's house and lugging your stuff. Um, and and there's a you know a bunch of bunch of stuff. Like I say, it's really well written and thoughtful and interesting about uh, you know because it is two different you know completely different things. You know, some people love one and hate the other. Um, some people have to do one just out of necessity. And if all you have done is play 
online for a long time, it can be a little weird getting back to a face-to-face session. I know we've talked before about just a mapping difference. You know, there's some things you can do online you just can't do at the table. Um, In my case, (laughs) the maps in my home game are completely different. Or I'll try to, you know, I do, I got to turn my notifications off. I do a lot more um, theater of the mind face-to-face than I do online, probably. I, I mix into I mix it into both, but it seems like I, I do an increasing amount of just theater of the mind when I'm at home. Um, partly because my maps are so bad, partly because it just it's a lot easier to manage online. But anyway, check that out. Timothy S. Brannon, The Other Side blog, long-running blog, theotherside.timsbrannon.com, doing a look back at first edition Gamma World. Uh, Let's see. An important piece. uh, Let's see what they said. There's a quote here I wanted to. They talk about in 1981, they got their, their copy of the Mold, Moldvay Basic set. And within the Gateway to Adventure catalog, there was another game they knew a little about would also soon become part of their ever-growing desire for a good sci-fi game, and that was TSR's Gamma World. Over the next few years, they'd spend time with this game and other editions of it, but it was the first edition that grabbed them like no other. And so they, um, they give a great review of it breaking it down, how the characters work, a lot of images and spreads, and it's gotten several comments from other people that love this game. Game of World is, is an excellent game, and uh, as much as some people have heard about it, it maybe doesn't get the love it really deserves. You know, sometimes things can be known, but they still don't get the respect they deserve. Um, so, anyway, check that out, a review, a look back retrospective on first edition Gamma World over at the other side. So this is another review. This is at the Monsters and Musings blog. Monstersandmusings.blogspot.com Skull Dixon blogging over there. Talking about the new Rune Quest. They said they made a switch from playing 5e over the last three or four years to the new version of Rune Quest. And they really love it. They love the Glorantha setting and they picked up the GM screen pack which is what they're reviewing they say it's the best GM screen they've ever bought uh, and it comes with several adventures including an updated Apple Lane now Apple Lane if not the first it was one of the first original RuneQuest adventures and I got a kind of updated like a cleaned up copy of that when I backed the uh, RuneQuest 2 Kickstarter some time ago. RuneQuest 2 is what most people, I think, would call RuneQuest 1. I think the original RuneQuest was just a very limited run, and they kind of quickly came out with you know, what is what is literally RuneQuest 2, but is what is basically original RuneQuest. And Apple Lane was an adventure for that. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on that. That's the way, I, that's the, way the history 
history plays in my mind. But um, so defending Apple Lane is one of the adventures in this, and uh, the map looks good. The adventure sounds cool. So I still haven't checked out really checked out the new RuneQuest, but I I remember seeing uh, James Malashevsky mention from Grognardia mentioned that they had played it and enjoyed it. And uh, Chaosium's doing a lot of good stuff right now. I think Chaosium is, is of the biggie, you know, the big role-playing game companies. I, I, I have to hand it to Chaosium. I think their stuff is just really great and high quality. So, so anyway, check that out. If you're thinking about uh, getting into RuneQuest, that looks like a nice package there, the GM screen with the uh, adventures. Over at the Bell of Lost Souls blog, belloflostsouls.net. You may have already seen this other places, but uh, Stranger Things, the Netflix show that's got kind of a D&D theme sort of running through it. Uh, season 4 is getting ready to drop, and they've, they've uh, released a teaser trailer for it. I thought Season 3 was really good. Season 1 was great. Season 2 is pretty good. Maybe didn't feel as good for some reason as season one. Was still really good though. But season three, the magic was back. I thought it was fantastic. All the stuff in the mall, all the stuff with the Russians. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but Stranger Things season three was just great. And so now season four, getting ready to come out at some point. They're they're dropping the teaser trailer, so check that out. We'll see what kind of D&D &D elements comes back into that. At the end of the, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but kind of a bittersweet, bittersweet sort of D&D &D thing happened at the, uh, at the end of Season 3, so we'll see. Over at These Old Games, theseoldgames.com, Phil Viverito over there will oftentimes review, take a retrospective look back at something, and I thought this was cool because I never heard of this one. The Star Wars Invasion of Theed box set from the year 2000. So this was like uh, for th for the third edition take on Star Wars. Um, the this was like a starter set for it uh, with a couple of rule booklets and uh, an adventure and um, like a simplification of the Star Wars role-playing game that Wizards put out. Not the uh, second one. What do they call the second one? Like the Galaxy Edition? Saga Edition, I think. So this was, they, they put out a, like a third, you know, a, a Star Wars based on third edition, and then similar, I guess, to how third edition went to 3.5, they did a, a second maybe better, more well-received well Saga edition shortly after. So I guess this is for the first, the first one. Um, but this looks like a pretty cool little package. And so I'm tempted to try to pick this up. They say you can pick up a used copy at full retail price, which they say is a shame, but in actuality, it's great that it hasn't gone up. Um, but uh, it looks like it comes with like a map and some tokens, and you you know you got everything you need to to do a little uh, do a little Star Wars play with a D and D sort of chassis. So Star Wars Invasion of Theed box set, something I didn't know existed, looks pretty good. I wonder when there will be another Star Wars game. You know what I mean? Seems like 
somebody's missing out on the opportunity there. Of course, nothing's ever really top D6, um, but it just seems a little strange that that there's not a Star Wars, you know, a current Star Wars role-playing game. Um, ever since uh, whoever the other folks were that lost the, the, the license, what were they called? I can't remember the name of the company right now. Um, what uh, what else do I have? Uh, failure Tolerated. The Failure Tolerated blog. FailureTolerated.com. Let's see if I've got a name for this. Oh, Sean McCoy's blog. How did I not know that right from the get-go? I guess they do a lot of stuff at Mothership stuff, too. At the Mothership site. So, anyway. <clears throat> Violent Encounters blog. I mean, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the failure tolerated blog article is violent encounters and they're just talking about how combat can end up you know really stale and boring they give this example that certainly everyone's been in a game where this how it went all right it's your turn what you doing well is the orc still standing yeah he looks pretty beat up but he's there okay i attack all right go ahead and roll i got a 13 all right, you miss. All right, Jenny, it's your turn. What are you doing? Uh, I guess I'm going to attack the orc too, you know? Really boring. Uh, no flavor. Just kind of standing there trading blows. Now, you may never be able to make every encounter some kind of memorable uh, event of a, of a battle or whatever. You might not even really want to in every case. You might not feel like it as a GM in every case or as a player. You might not feel like giving some grandiose description of your sword cutting through the flesh or whatever. You might just be like, all right, I messed great. You know, whatever. But there's some good advice here on how to, on some, just some ideas for cool encounters. Um, like one side having to complete an, an objective or capture an objective and defend it until reinforcements arrive. Uh, one side attempting to get to a location while another party is trying to stop them. Uh, ambushes. Um, kind of like effects, uh, like area effects and stuff. Like they give an example of explode, exploding barrels. Um you know, that can limit your mobility or areas that you can, you know, move to without causing damage to yourself. Um, they say glass cannon, one side having a powerful asset, which is defended by guardians. You know, that that reminds me of uh, uh, Scourge of the, not Scourge of the Slave Lords. What was the first Slave Lord adventure? Not, uh, was it Scourge of the Slave Lords? Or is that what they called when they put all the four of them together? Whatever that first Slave Lord adventure was, which I believe is Thomas uh, Tom Moldvay adventure, really good one, where the party's having to um, 
either sneak in or, or break into the uh, the slave lord hideout. Um, there are some, if you have if you try to go in the front, there are some orcs or something. It might have been orcs or bugbears maybe that have like a cannon that have like what what, uh, what Sean's talking about here. And if you get hit with that thing, you're in trouble. So, but if you can take it over and use it, you're happy. Uh, anyway, some other kind of, you know, just some good food for thought encounter ideas where you're not just standing there trading blows. So check that out. That's at the failure tolerated blog. And then finally on the blogs, Zao Seed over at the Seed of Worlds blog. I just want to give Zao Seed a shout out because they've kept up this series I've mentioned before. They're shiny tabletop RPG links collections. They're up to number 16. And if you like listening to what I do here, you'll probably enjoy this as well because they gather a bunch of blog posts they noticed recently that they enjoyed and give links to it. So shout out to Zao Seed for giving shout outs to bloggers. Random tables. Alrighty, let's roll on some random tables. <clears throat> and this first one kind of fits my mood. I'm over at the Archons March On blog. Archons March On? I said before, I always said Archon, but I've probably always been wrong. Uh, whose blog is this over here? Semiurge. And um, so it's called In the Land of Nod. It's said that death and time are siblings, sired into this world by the first murder, grandchildren of the first murderer. Their mother, the garden, bled out in their birth, and where her blood spilled, the world turned to wasteland. Nod. Yep, that about fits my mood. So we're in the Land of Nod. Nice and bleak. Future America. <laughs> All right. What fills the sky of Nod today? D12. Um, a dreadful darkness. A starless night that swallows the sun. What is the terrain in this part of Nod? Sounds like a nice place, right? Terrain. Salt flats and broad, briny pools where stinging flies and urchins breed. What is the landmark in this part of Nod? Um, a segment of a gigantic skeleton, primordial in its anatomy. Bonesmiths labor in its shadow. A dead behemoth, or possibly the mate of Leviathan. All right. What might be encountered at this moment in Nod? Um... A crestfallen paladin, failed killer of the king of all killers. So yeah, that's about right. Check that out over at the Archons March On blog. And then I'm going over to Chris Tam's fantastic Elf Maids and Octopi blog, elfmaidsandoctopi.blogspot.com. Haven't done a random table from Chris in a while. D100 Problem Intelligent Magic Items. So this one's fair fairly complicated, complex, I should say. So I'm just going to roll on a piece on it, but it, it brought up the idea of, you know, intelligent magic items. And I can't remember, 
I can't remember ever playing, right, surely I had to, but nothing comes into mind where I was playing in a game with like a, a sentient sword, you know what I mean? Like a talking sword, or one that can talk to you telepathically or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of one of those weird things. It was kind of felt like borderline silly, even though the whole game is kind of silly. I don't know if that's why I never really introduced them into my game or just didn't think about it. But, but anyway, so this has got like different communication types, like the way that the weapon communicates. Let's roll on one of these. Uh, it sings words and knows lots of musical lore. So a singing, a singing sword. And it's got various abilities and stuff, but then it also has like a problem, like an issue, an issue. This can sometimes be something that's uh, maybe irritating with it or something else. So let's do a, let's do a few things. What is a sword? What's the problem with a sword? Uh, it's a snob and it sneers at poor and working people. So yeah, God, that sword's annoying as hell. What's another problem with a sword? Uh-oh, uh sorry about that notification. Um, the item prefers a wielder to be married with children or working at it. So it's always annoying you to get married and have kids. Ah. So you got this sword. It's cool, but it, it sings songs about how much it hates poor people, and, and it's always bugging you to get married, so... We were trying to toss that sword in the garbage. Zine Club. The show marches on like our slow march towards the grave. <sighs> Bummer. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm starting to get in a little bit of a better mood. Yeah. How about you? Um, okay, just a couple of zine things. I, like I say, I didn't... I, one thing I didn't see a ton of stuff, but I wasn't exactly seeking it out that hard this week. But I do have something cool. A couple of things. One is free. I've mentioned before Frontier Explorer, a free zine focused around TSR's Star Frontiers game. Uh, and, you know, still supporting Star Frontiers. Issue 32 is now available. You can download this for free. If you've never checked these out, download them all. Even if you're not playing Star Frontiers, lots of cool stuff for sci-fi games in these. Very cool. So that's over at FrontierExplorer.org. Then over the DCC Trove of Treasures. This is Raven Crow King's blog. DCCTreasures.blogspot.com Usually just pointing out, you know, one of the myriad third-party, you know, or otherwise uh, products for DCC. This is one that's a little interesting. Tales from the Magician's Skull, number one. So this is actually kind of like Weird Tales um, or an old pulp magazine. It's sword and sorcery fiction. And even the covers and everything kind of have a pulp feel. I'm not sure how many of these there are out now, but uh, this is looking back at number one. And you can still order all these from uh, Goodman Games. And uh, the art looks really good. So if you're a fan of the old pulps and and, uh, and that kind of stuff, or just kind of weird tales and classic 
uh, Conan stories or whatever else. This might be worth a look to you. Um, and it breaks down a little bit of what the different stories in the uh, in the zine are about. So check that out over at dcctreasures.blogspot.com. Free stuff. All right. Didn't notice a ton of free stuff either. Um, of course, I mean, there's tons of free stuff out. There's lots of places you can go and find more free stuff than I can ever list here. You know, um, there's always stuff on the DMs Guild or drive through or people post on itch and everything. I try to stick with stuff I see pop up on blogs or just kind of things you might have missed. But again, it was just kind of one of those weeks where I just let the stuff come to me. And this is the stuff that I noticed. One thing is uh, a couple of things are generators. One is from a wander it's called wanderer's guide it's a new app for pathfinder 2 a semi-automated character manager for pathfinder second edition designed for both desktop and tablets has interactive inventory conditions and a spell management system and it's in the beta so if you enjoy pathfinder 2 you might want to check this out that's at wanderersguide.app the other kind of character generator thing I saw was over at Roll Sanity, RollSanity.com. Basic Dungeons & Dragons character generator with ascending armor class. So I believe it's got both ascending and descending. No, it's all ascending. So uh, this is for like a BX generator. And, you know, there are a bunch of these, you know, and it's not the first and certainly won't be the last. But uh, you can always use more that make it nice and easy, especially with a game like BX where you're not really trying to min-max or anything like that. You can just roll a bunch of these up. It'd be great for, um, for NPCs and all that kind of stuff. So check that out. That's over at Roll Sanity. And then finally, what would a week of free stuff be without Hodag RPG? Hodag has dropped zero dag. A popcorn and pretzels game you can play on your lunch break with Sharon from Accounting, Will from Shipping, and Darius from HR when there isn't a pandemic anymore. Zero DAG. Zero prep time, zero cost, zero time to learn. So there's both zero DAG in pamphlet form as well as a supplement for this. So two pamphlets for the, the new Zero DAG game from Hodag RPG. So check that out. If you have not checked out Hodag's stuff, if you're not a frequent listener, follow the link on their itch page and, and check all these out. They're, they're, Hodag has done numerous free pamphlet. Uh, some are full games, some are you know different stuff. All you know lovingly illustrated with Hodag's um, unique style, and um, so these are really great. And um, also had Hodag on the show back a few weeks ago. So if you're interested in hearing more about their process and, and what they're up to, be sure and check that out. The final topic. All right. So for the final topic, this is really interesting to me because I was thinking of this idea as a final topic, maybe as a five minute Friday, but I knew I'd run long. And then, and I was thinking to myself, well, I usually like to have the final topic be prompted by a blog post or something, but literally like the day after, if not the day after I had the idea, then two days after this post came up from Pitt's Perilous 
www.blogspot.com. Uh, from the old House Rules crew, uh, I believe it's a husband and wife team that has done numerous games, including Pits and Perils, which is really excellent, by the way. Uh, and some other really good stuff. If you never checked out their games, I believe it was on Lulu that I got the complete Pits and Perils. So it's the core game plus all the supplements and a nice hardback. It was either on Lulu or Drive-Thru, but I, I believe it was on Lulu. But, but anyway, it's got links to all their stuff on their site, but it's, it's a good game. Um, but anyway, th then they posted this post and it tied directly into what I wanted to talk about. So it's just serendipitous. But uh, I was just thinking about, you know, horror games and everything. It's like, can a, can a horror game RPG actually be scary? And I think the answer is kind of like, no, you know, unless you've got really fragile players or maybe like, you know, four-year-olds, you know, and I'm being a little, you know, sarcastic about it, but you know, there are, there are great fun horror games. Don't get me wrong. My favorites, I would say overall, uh, would be horror and you can maybe have, you can certainly gross somebody out in a game and you can have disturbing material. Uh, but to actually scare somebody while you're playing the game, I don't think it's possible, but I mean, I'd love to hear from somebody if you've actually been scared in a game, but it's got me thinking about, and so that that's kind of along the same lines of what's posted here. Their, their article is, does gaming get horror? It says, can gaming do horror? Sure. But can it produce what horror is supposed to engender? Fear and its devotees. Uh, and they say, no, basically. <laughs> um, and they give a bunch. It's a really good article. You read through it. Um, they say, oh, here, here, here's something they say. Can gaming do horror? Gaming can do monsters and stat blocks, the raw materials of a horror game. They can do rules needed to measure out survival and quantify how terrifying the Elder God was. They can simulate the suffering of your minds, but that's where it ends. You can't bottle this stuff. Um, and I don't, you know, then they even go to say a group willing to scare and be scared within certain boundaries set largely by consideration and emotional intelligence. So I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, actually scaring somebody as possible let's just say um like i say grossing somebody out having disturbing thematic material all that sure but um and then it just got me thinking about horror movies in general at first i was trying to think of have i actually been scared by a horror movie you know because the time you know when i was at the age where you could possibly really be scared you know you're so young you don't necessarily remember it unless it really made an imprint on you I can remember when The Thing had come out on VHS. I was at my friend's birthday party, and I know it was their second grade birthday party, so I would have been like seven. <laughs> so we were way too young to have watched that movie. I can't believe the mom rented it or whatever, but it was a bunch of us, and it was daytime. It was like a daytime party. And we're all sitting there and we watch the thing and I'll never forget, you know, the dog's head splitting open and be like, Whoa. So that was shocking and certainly gross. 
but I don't know if I was scared. There were other plenty of movies that have maybe been disturbing. I think about uh, Hellraiser 2. I don't know if anybody's seen that one, that gem, but uh, it gives... Uh, it's it's got you know you, you what's the right what's the right aphorism I can say for this um, you know you haven't seen a filthy mattress until you've seen the filthy mattress in Hellraiser two let's uh, that'll have to do for now but and so I remember walking home from a friend's after watching that and just think about how gross that was it's not exactly being horrified. Uh, things like the exorcist and stuff, you know that that did scare some people because people were scared. A lot of people when they saw, saw that and, and walked out and everything, uh, there are definitely some jump scares. Maybe this, the bathtub scene in the shining was a little bit scary when I saw that. I was kind of young when I was, when I saw that too. But as I was trying to think about times when I was scared, maybe it seemed maybe easier to me to think about when when my daughter has been scared by anything, you know, because I've, you know, every movie she's watched pretty much I've shown her, you know, been aware that she watched it or whatever. And you know what I thought of what ends up being the one, the scariest one, I think the scariest I've seen her. And maybe it's not exactly fear. Maybe it's terror, but was the wizard of Oz and not even once they get to Oz or anything, but before they go anywhere, when you have that woman who ends up being the, you know, the uh, same actress that that plays the, the witch. But when she comes after that dog and says she's going to kill that dog and everything, boy, she didn't like that part. Oh, boy. Because, you're, you know, you, you're that young. You don't know if this lady's going to take that dog and kill it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was rough. And I had almost forgotten about, you know, I remember I'm going to get you and your little dog too and all that, but... I didn't remember how explicit she was explicit she was about straight up killing the dog. So it took another couple of years before she was willing to take a stab at the Wizard of Oz again. But anyway, then I was just thinking about horror in general and horror movies and how no matter what horror documentary or whatever you watch, the narrator always says the same thing about you know, the horror movies of the time reflecting, you know, the fears and all this of the time, right? And so some of the stuff seems obvious, like, you know, in the 50s, all the atomic scare and news and everything after World War II, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. So you have, you know, them and other, you know, giant monsters that get, you know, Godzilla and, and all that kind of stuff. So you can see... You can draw a straight line to those things. They seem obvious. Kind of the atomic panic and those kind of movies exploiting that. Other things don't seem as clear. Like, you know, you always hear, I don't know if you, any listeners have heard this, but even George Romero himself saying, you know, something about uh, Night of the Living Dead having to do with, with Vietnam or somehow tying into Vietnam. Not sure I understand or see the connection there personally, but. And then you have um, stuff obviously tying into religious, satanic panic, exploiting that kind of stuff. Lots of movies did that. 
And you have some that kind of play with uh, sexual anxiety or things like that. Like one of the recent ones that was really good was uh, um, It Follows. I don't know if y'all saw that. Low budget, but really well done. And certainly, you know, there's something to be said about all these slasher flicks where if, a, if some people are having sex or anything like that, they're almost guaranteed to get killed. So the reason I was thinking about that and to tie it back into games was like, well, you know, if you want to have something really scary, maybe it has to have to do with something with real life or what's going on at the time, you know? So what would be, what would be like modern themes that you could actually maybe scare somebody with? And if not actually scare them at the table, but have them take home, you know, maybe give them a nightmare later or have some kind of fear involved and I was thinking just about just the ways so many things are going like you know a lot of people talk about uh, these cryptocurrencies and bitcoin or whatever and, and one of the things you'll hear particularly from you know kind of you know maybe maybe not far left but just on the left side of the spectrum most of the complaints about bitcoin and cryptocurrency is simply that they use a lot of energy to, you know, mine and create more of these or whatever. So it's all just like an environmental kind of perspective, which is fine. I mean, obviously it goes without saying that the financial system and banks and everything use far more energy than people do to, to, you know, create these crypto concert, this digital currency and everything, but that's neither here nor there. The real scary thing about it is that, you know, the, there's a reason that governments are not just immediately shutting this down. I mean, if, if people were making their own money, uh, like, say, in a warehouse or something, they would shut you down and lock you in a cage. But they're kind of allowing these things. And a lot of people will say it's because they can't stop them. I'm not so sure that they couldn't at least freeze people's assets and everything else and, and make it hard. But, you know, maybe it's true that some chic or something that's, um, that the, uh, that that's under sanctions can use it and get away with it, but they could certainly make it difficult or if not impossible for people in, in the U S to use it. But that's a whole different argument. They're already uh, experimenting with a digital currency in, in China, and uh, the Federal Reserve is, I even watched an interview with, uh, with them talking about moving to a digital dollar at some point. So it's almost like they're letting, you know, able to let the technology develop itself, you know, through these cryptocurrencies that they're eventually going to use. And the, the currencies basically have with this, you know, blockchain that you might hear people talk about that I'm not going to pretend to be an expert about it, but it can basically, uh, any kind of exchange is like basically recorded through this blockchain to where you can tell, you know, and, and, and multiple places to verify it. So day time and, and all this kind of stuff. So it's a way you can kind of track track purchases, right? Um, so in the hands of, of, uh, 
of a government if you move away from paper money to all digital and it's kind of control, you know, there's all kinds of manipulation that could happen. Everything from, you know, obviously the first thing that can come to your mind is confiscation or like they're trying with in China, you know, setting an expiration date basically on the money, right? Uh, to encourage spending, or you could give somebody, Hey, Bob, you've got a 14% interest rate, Tom, you've got a 10% interest rate. So you could basically control, first of all, you could see, you know, through the data from the blockchain, you know, you could see all purchases at all times and you could control anyone's access to money. Um, so, and this is the kind of thing that's been talked about, you know, for theorized about and everything for years and maybe who knows how many thousand of dystopian novels, not, but not to mention the obvious religious parallels, uh, with, you know, uh, marks of the beast or whatever, all that kind of stuff. But it's literally... It's literally in the process of, of happening. Who knows, will people accept it and let it happen? But, you know, we're already kind of pretty much there. I can't remember the last time I actually spent cash. Actually, I do. Uh, getting like a $5 back at a purchase at the grocery store to, to throw out a few lottery tickets. That's the last time I used cash. <laughs> you know? I never use cash. So, so anyway... You could maybe play with something like that, some kind of police state, um, and make it really realistic as it kind of is. And that could maybe give somebody a nightmare or two if they care about their freedom at all. But then I saw another article, and this one will really get you. Maybe this one will scare you if that doesn't. Um, the fertility rates in... Western civilization, you know, I don't know if you want to call it Western civilization, the United States and some of the developed European countries. Well, it's really falling in China too, but probably for different reasons. But the reason that the fertility rates are falling here, a lot of people like to think of it as, well, we, we're choosing to have kids later. And certainly that's part of it. Um, you know, patterns of people working or being in the workforce or, or waiting till later to start families. That's all true. That's all part of it. People deciding they don't want to bring a kid in the world or uh, all this shifting mentality about having children. That's all part of it. That's just a small part of it though. The reality is that the literal ability to have children is dropping and it's dropping mainly on the male side, sperm gone bad. So there's an article I put up to accompany this. I think it's called what happens when we get to sperm count zero, but it's all about, it's all about the falling fertility rates of men. And, you know, it posits some of the reasons why, and kind of like I was talking about a few weeks ago, um, about the guy from the plastics industry that I talked to for a while about how they don't know, have any idea about how, what all this stuff is. It's just everywhere now. Right. Cause people are like worried about vaccines when vaccines are like 
one of the only thing that's actually has been tested that you're putting into your body every day. You know, it's the one thing that you could feel better about as the vaccine, <laughs> uh, as opposed to everything else. Um, and so it talks about these different chemicals and stuff that are basically called referred to as endocrine disruptors, and they're in everything, from the you know the casings of nutritional supplements. You know, hey, get a vitamin C boost, boost your immune system, and you know, you know, and disrupt your genetics, you know, and just, and lose the ability to have children. It's in, you know, food additives. It's basically in everything. Like there's no way the list of stuff that you could avoid it. You know, you can't say, well, I'm going to go live in a cabin. Nobody's taking my sperm. No, by the time you're old enough to decide to go live in the cabin, it's already, you know, you're already filled with a, you know, and this is just the bits and pieces that they know. So there's just a, uh, there's a slow but steady and it's rapid. You know, I, I shouldn't have said slow. It's, it, it, it's not something you notice, you know, happening every day, but, but, uh, maybe I should open it to look at the timing, but it's, it's like in a generation it's been cut in half. Right. So, um, it's the kind of thing that before too long, you can get to a point where very few people are able to, you know, re reproduce, you know? Um, and the, the, a lot of people will say that's great or not see the problem with it, but there are major, major problems with not being able to replace your workforce, <clears throat> having an aging population that can't take care of itself. And, uh, you know, there, there are huge, huge, all kinds of ramifications for it that uh, would not be pleasant for anybody to, to, to live through, uh, unless you're a complete and total nihilist and want everything to burn down, which, you know, part of the, one of the reasons I didn't want to be on Facebook anymore. There are plenty of people that are that way that are just complete sociopaths and, and don't give a damn if, if other people live or die. Um, so but anyway, so maybe that's something you can scare somebody with in a game. Uh, especially if you can tie it to, you know, to a, a not, not so distant future to keep everything else otherwise pretty much the same. So maybe with nicer smartphones, right? And electric cars. So I guess that's about enough of that ramble. But, uh, so is it possible to scare somebody in an RPG or are you just kind of limited with grossing them out and maybe, uh, giving them, you know, disturbing them. And if it is possible, call in and let me know a time when you have been scared and everybody's different. So I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe I'm just, you know, <laughs> No, there's no maybe about it. I am cynical, so maybe I am likely too cynical to be able to uh, to let myself be scared, and maybe my players are too. So, anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. If you have any comments on anything I was talking about there. Outro.
All right, I'm sure I've left you in a cheerful and chipper mood, ready to face your Wednesday, right? <laughs> uh, I am sure that I will uh, snap back somewhat. Maybe it was just an overload, an overload of negativity and this kind of stuff that uh, temporarily dragged me down into uh, a less than optimistic state. But I am generally speaking an optimist. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show under the outro tabs. I do have a, like a chase, a chaser, uh, some humor, some humorous memes. You can check those out. Uh, once again, a big thanks to folks back me on Patreon for supporting the show. If you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash thought eater, only a dollar a month. If you want to support the program. If you have any comments, anything about anything we talked about, including the final topic, go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater, click the message button, and I will play it on the show. Thanks so much to Brian, BJ, Safino, and Jason for calling in. You make the show better when you do so. So thanks for that. Uh, five Minute Friday will be next. Other than that, I think that's it. So, see you next time. Logan. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom.